morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Tuesday, May 9th, we are studying Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. In today's text, John gives a greeting of grace and peace from the triune God to the seven churches who are to receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Dustin Beck. Pastor Beck serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Pastor Beck, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning, Pastor Apple. Glad to be with you. As we start the book of Revelation, Pastor Beck, just tell us a little bit about your approach to the book, why you find this to be a valuable book. We're only a couple verses in so far, so some of that introductory material will be helpful. Yeah, so uh, I think that all of our listeners probably know that if you're going to study the book of Revelation, you're you're taking on a difficult task. Um, I had a, a church member at my previous congregation. She was one of our shut-ins, and um, I think I was visiting her. Uh, it was the week of All Saints Day. And so I was preaching on Revelation 7 and the great multitude uh, robed in white, uh, white robes. And uh, I said, uh, you know, Lupita, our, our reading today is from Revelation chapter 7. And she said, oh, pastor, the book of Revelation scares me. Uh, and I just said, well, that's, that's not what Revelation is about. It's, it's not meant to be a scary book. It is meant to be a comfort to Christians. Um, and so we, we talked through it a little bit, and I showed her some places that we can look for, um, especially for the, the good news parts of it. But the best news of all is the fact that we know who wins. We know the way that it all turns out. We know the way that it all shakes out. And, um, you know, so there is um, no reason for Christians to be wary of studying Revelation uh, when you keep in focus the fact that, you know, Christ is risen, he is victorious, and his resurrection uh, means a vanquishing, a a conquering of the devil, um, and that that's the trajectory that all of this is headed uh, on. So with that in mind... um, we also need to remember that we're studying a completely different genre of material, right? Uh, we've studied uh, on Sharper Iron before uh, several of the Gospels. We've actually, uh, with uh, you've studied John recently, um, and then you've switched genre into um, the letters, the epistles of John, uh, which you've been walking through uh, for the last several weeks, and now you're moving into apocalyptic prophecy, Okay, so this is, I mean, it's a whole different bailiwick. It's, you know, it would be like switching from, you know, reading, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, reading a fiction, you know, a novel uh, to all of a sudden reading a historic biography, you know, we're all, you know, oh, goodness, or or reading a, you know, a technical manual about, I don't know, you're a math guy, math, right? Um, So calculus, there you go. Calculus, yeah, exactly. I mean, these things are just 
you have to have a different set of lenses on. You have to have a different mindset when you step into Revelation. Um, so there will be, throughout the course of the book, and I know this is this is just sort of my first crack at Revelation on Sharper Iron with you, so I want to go ahead and just kind of spill uh, some thoughts that I've got in terms of reading the book. Um, there will be veiled terms and phrases, okay? Figures of speech that will likely remain indecipherable to us, things that we just don't get to understand, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the reasons that, uh, that, you know, the commentators talk about with this um, is that this is written for an audience of Christians who are experiencing persecution in the first century Roman Empire, late first century. Uh, and so perhaps there are sort of, there is a decoded message, there are, you know, uh, images that are used that would have been understood to the original audience, um, and because we live in a different context, and because we live 2,000 years away, um, we just don't exactly know, you know, we, we can't quite parse out everything. And I think that um, when we're reading the book of Revelation, it does take a good deal of humility <laughs> um, to, to step into yeah. it and say, there will be questions that we will not have the answers to. Yeah. That's that's a hard thing for for pastors to do, isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay, so there's some some things that we don't know, but what what will we know? What will we discover? Right. So we will absolutely know uh, that at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. Uh, we will absolutely know that He is the one who, on account of His uh, His perfect life, His innocent death, His glorious resurrection, He is the one who is worthy uh, to enter back into heaven. Um, and as He enters into heaven, um, He makes a way for all of uh, mankind who believes, uh, who are called children of God. Uh, there's, it's wonderful the overlap uh, in John's writings uh, to those uh, who are uh, who are born not of the will of man nor the will of a man, but instead they are born of God. To them, he gives the right to be called the children of God. Uh, that's that rings a bell from John yeah. one, I believe. Yeah. And so um, they will inherit um, not just uh, not just the earth and the kingdoms of the earth, but they will inherit uh, heaven itself. And then in the grand finale, they will inherit the new heavens and the new earth in which God will wipe away all tears from our eyes and we will experience life together with him forever. Um, so that's that's the trajectory of the whole book. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the middle, but uh, that's that's kind of where it's all headed Um so does that does that sort of do as a yeah. as an interrupt as that, a as a as an introduction? That helps. That helps. And and since I I bring this up every time you're on, do oh, you teach you. Revelation to high school students? <laughs> and, right and if the, so, yeah, how do you how do you teach it to high school students? Oh goodness, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, so I do uh, teach Revelation uh, in our New Testament uh, survey course. We're actually in Revelation right now. Uh, we're in about uh, so let's see. We're recording this a couple days early. Spoilers, everybody. Uh, but so we will be in about Revelation fifteen sixteen uh, by the time that we are uh, here on Tuesday morning. Um, yeah, when we teach it to the kids, I try to <clears throat> I try to teach it in a way that is um, not going to be threatening, because like I said, there's some scary imagery. There are, um, you know, uh, there are these beasts that come forth from, you know, a pit that have, you know, the, uh, the power of locusts, but they have crowns on their head, and they have breastplates, and they have the uh, scorpion stings in their tails, and there's some weird stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, and this is this is kind of silly, honestly, is um, 
I have this book, and you know, Pastor Apple, we're on video, so I can actually show you this. Ooh. The radio, the listeners can't see it, but um, I have this book that's called the Brick Bible. Have I told you about yeah, the Brick Bible? I've, I've seen the Brick You've Bible. You've seen the Brick Bible. It is, um, <laughs> so there's the Old Testament uh, volume, and then there's the New Testament volume. And the New Testament goes through um, sort of a mixing up of the Gospels, uh, and then it gives us the book of Acts, because there's a lot of you know visual stuff in Acts. It doesn't go through the letters, because their sermons, uh, and then it jumps to Revelation. And so, um, if for those that don't know, the Brick Bible is uh, this attempt. It's it reads sort of like a comic book, uh, but it's pictures that have been made by somebody who built the images with Legos. Okay, um, and so. If you want to make the book of Revelation a little, you know, if you want to disarm it a little bit of its terror and everything, uh, you can show high school kids the Brick Bible, and um, it's it's almost like you know just kind of pushing it to the to the ludicrous, to the ridiculous, and it just kind of you look at it and you're like, I mean, that's just. I don't know what John is seeing here. I don't know what this vision must have been like. But when you see it in a silly way, um, I think it helps to kind of take some of the teeth out of uh, out of it. I don't, you know, relating to kids, high school kids is uh, is always interesting. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, so the brick Bible is certainly not something you're going to put on stained glass windows. Probably not. But it, it is, it is, it is good. I think that we that we do visualize these things, and and sometimes if it's in a way that perhaps is going to be less intimidating, that that's not bad. But to John was seeing these things. Yeah. And we we should have these things in our imagination. Try to picture these things because this is something John really saw. So high school student, adult, however we come to the book, what we will find is Jesus Christ reigning for our good, the conquering, risen, ascended, victorious Lord. So we get the greeting from John to the seven churches this morning. This is going to sound a little bit like an epistle in this part. So I'm going to go ahead and read the text. This is Revelation 1, verses 4 to 8. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so... Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's our text for today. That's Revelation 1, verses 4 to 8. So Pastor Beck, in the first verse that we have today, John identifies himself, and he says that he is writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. We'll talk more about this as we get farther into the book, but give us at least an introduction. Seven churches in Asia. Yeah, you know, I... I find this uh, almost kind of comical because um, I think we I think we had remarked uh, this way back all the way back when we were finishing the Gospel of John that when he's finishing the Gospel it's almost like he doesn't quite know how to finish it because you know he has the upper room on Easter and then he says these things are written so that you may believe uh, which is just this wonderful ending but then we've got a couple more endings because then all of a sudden you've got the disciples are fishing, and the conversation with Peter, and the conversation about John, you know, all of this. Um, 
it's almost the opposite here in Revelation, where it's like we don't know how to get started, because we've had the first three verses that, you know, tell us this is the revelation of Jesus, which God gave to him, which I've always, that's a detail that I've always just loved, is the fact that this is not the revelation of John, right? I mean, it is the revelation given to John eventually, but this is actually what has been revealed to Jesus by God the Father, um, now to show his servants the things that'll take place. Uh, When we get into our text for today, I mean, like you said, this begins just like an epistle, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, This is the way that we would expect an epistle to begin, uh, and so Properly speaking, the book of Revelation is an epistle, right. although within this epistle we're going to have um, seven epistles, uh, one to each of the uh, churches that are in Asia Minor. But then after that, we're going to have this extended, expanded vision that is sort of tacked on, and that's going to be the main body of the text. Um, seven churches. That seems a little bit um, peculiar to me. Um, I'm no expert on archaeology or on uh, the ancient world or anything like that, uh, but based on some very limited reading, um, it has come to my attention that there were way more than seven churches in Asia, even in Asia Minor, uh, kind of the area that we're concerning ourselves with. Um, So why these seven churches? Um, Why didn't John write to the you know, to the eight churches or to the, you know, 32 churches that are in Asia. Uh, maybe his hand would have gotten tired. I don't know. Um, but this is for us. Uh, this is for us the first time that we get to discuss number symbolism in the book of Revelation. Yeah. This is going to be something that's a feature of apocalyptic prophecy, um, is to know that numbers are not to be necessarily understood uh, literally here. So we see the numbers, and, and yes, there are these seven churches, <clears throat> excuse me, exact, absolutely existed uh, in Asia Minor, and uh, this letter was very likely first delivered to these seven churches. Uh, but the reason that seven is chosen is because seven is sort of a special number, it's a number that uh, re- re- recurs, uh, occurs throughout the Bible um, as sort of this number that God has set aside as his own perfect number. Uh, you think of the seventh day in creation, right? Um, what does God do on that seventh day? Well, he blesses it. He makes it holy. Okay? He, he rests from the work that he had done, and he sets it aside as a day that is to be remembered forever. Okay? Um, the, uh, and, you know, this is one of those things where if you, have, uh, if you have a little bit of time on your hands and you've got, you know, a, a Bible app or the ability to search through the Bible, uh, you, can really, um, you can really get, you know, into just kind of into the weeds with this. Um, it shows up uh, very next uh, time is in uh, chapter 4. Uh, when God promises sevenfold vengeance against anybody who uh, who strikes out against Cain, you remember that when He puts the mark on Cain. Um, when Noah goes into the ark, He takes. Uh, remember, we always remember two by two the animals went into the ark, but He actually took uh, seven pairs of clean animals. Um, you know, and the clean animals are to be understood uh, in the way that you know the Levitical law would eventually uh, designate them. I find I always find that interesting that you know. Uh, 
Noah had these clean animals even before the Levitical law, but yeah. then, you know, Moses is the one who's recounting this, so he's explaining to us, oh, he took seven pairs of the clean animals, okay? But I, I know we're getting way off in the weeds, Pastor Apple. Um, so Israel walks around Jericho for seven days. Um, yep. We have in Isaiah 11 the sevenfold gift of the Spirit, which is, um, it's sixfold unless you're looking at the Septuagint, uh, and that's where you get the sevenfold gift of the uh, of the Spirit in Isaiah 11. Jesus has seven I am statements and seven different times does he speak from the cross. Uh, there's something about sevens, okay? Yeah. Um, I don't know that we necessarily, for our conversation and our text today, need to get into all of the other sort of number symbolism uh, in Revelation, unless you just want to go there. No, I think there's probably enough for us to talk about with the text we have before exactly. us. Exactly, yes, I completely But the, the way that you're approaching the number seven, I think, is helpful. And and in this context, and on a number of levels, one, that you you notice these are real churches. When we say that the number seven is is going to have more to it than just the counting, we should acknowledge these are seven real churches. These seven real churches did receive revelation, and it was read among them. At the same time, the fact that seven churches receive this letter is significant to help us remember that this is written for the complete church. And this will be important when we get to those seven individual epistles, that when we read, for example, the letter to the church in Ephesus, there's going to be things that certainly apply very particularly to Ephesus, but that letter is going to be read in Smyrna, Pergamum, and so forth. And it belongs to the whole church. So sending it to seven churches indicates this is the word of God for the whole church. Yeah, and and the especially as you get into chapters two and three, uh, you'll see that the pattern that each of the letters follows, um, where you have this referent back to uh, the vision of Jesus. Um, you right. have in most of the churches, you have the good, the bad, the call to repentance, um, and then that that promise that is given to the one who conquers. That's going to be a theme that's going to run throughout Revelation. Pay close attention to that uh, as you're as you're moving through, dear listener. Uh, the ones who conquer, because their conquering is going to be bound up in Jesus' conquering over death um, by his death and by his resurrection. So that's where all of that is heading. But yeah, like you said, um, all of the churches would receive these letters together, um, and they would understand that these letters are written to each of them and also to all of them if that distinction makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is John's writing to the seven churches and, by extension, to the whole church. So then he speaks again, words that we're expecting at the beginning of an epistle, grace to you and peace, and we think we know how that's going to end, but this at least is not usually how Paul goes, and it's not usually how I start my sermons. I don't know about you, Pastor Beck, if you've ever used this one at the beginning of a sermon. I might have to start, because I love it now. <laughs> it's great. It's great. So, grace to you and peace from, and then this is where we got to pay attention. So, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So, I, I count that the grace and peace are going to come from three different sources. The last one, John says, is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So that seems pretty clear. The first two, I think we can we can figure this out, but help us help us with this, Pastor Beck, because again, it's not you, the way we, we're used to hearing this. Yeah, we usually hear grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. But right. here, um, it's not God our Father, it's Him who is and was and is to come. Um, which does not refer to three individuals, just to one. Um, and 
the best that I think we can do with this, and we get some uh, some clearer indication in verse eight. Um, that's that's when you know the final verse of our text today is going to kind of bring all of that home. But um, this is an expanding of uh, the Exodus three um, way that God chooses to reveal Himself. He says, um, you know, he's in the burning bush. He's talking to Moses. Moses sort of pushes back a little bit. You know, who are you, Lord? And if I go to these these people, my people Israel, and I say to them, uh, the God of our fathers has sent me, you know, and what if they say, well, what's his name? Then what do I say? And of course, you know, we all remember this um, as, you know, God says, I am that I am, the kind of the, the Popeye verse, no? That's what Popeye used to say, right? It's been a long was time that, since I was that before your Popeye. time. They're on no, YouTube. You should Popeye. look at with the kids. I, I'll I'll do it. I'll do yeah, it. I am who olive I am. Olive oil. All those. Yeah, yeah. Olive oil. Anyways, <laughs> I am who I am. Uh, the the way that that's uh, rendered in uh, in Greek there is ego eimi haon, which is ego eimi I am, and then haon the one who is. I am the one who is, um, which is, I mean, you know, you could, you could spill so much ink and, 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 and wear your voice out talking about, um, how great it is that God is the one who is, he is the one who exists as opposed to every other lowercase G God out there. Um, because they don't, they aren't, (laughs) you know, we could, uh, we could rename God. I am and rename every other false God. I aren't. That's bad English. That's bad English. I'm not. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but even then, they're the ones that, that don't speak, they don't see, they don't know, they don't walk. You know, they're the ones that aren't. Uh, and so when we see him who is and who was and who is to come, that's sort of an unpackaging of this uh, this nature of God's being, the fact that he is, okay, and that he's the same, as the writer of the Hebrews says, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, but here, uh, we have this as a reference to the Father. Like I said, w- when we get to verse 8, it'll become absolutely clear uh, that we're talking about uh, the Lord God himself. We're talking about uh, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. We're talking about the, the God whom Jesus prayed to. Okay, right. uh, the one whom he called his father. So I think right. we can pretty much say that's what's going on with that one. I know that you know if you look at the commentaries, uh, they'll go back to some of the church fathers and some of the people who were a lot more fond of allegory and spinning off in directions that we just kind of scratch our head about. Uh, and some of them would would say, yeah, the one who is is Jesus. The one who was is the Father. The one who is to come is the Spirit. Um, but then what do you do with the rest of the sentence? What do you do with the rest of this? Um, this this blessing. Uh, it's going to come from the Father, Son, and Spirit, and from the seven spirits, and from Jesus. That just seems redundant. Um, you know, and, and this this unpacking of the Exodus 3, um, 14 uh, introduction to God's name, I think that's what's being given to us here. But I really like your idea, and maybe in the last, uh, last Sundays of the church here, we might begin our sermons with grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come from the seven spirits before his throne in Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. I'm going to have to make a note of that for later this summer. That's right. Un- unless the Lord returns first. Oh, in, God in which, case, which yes. Since we're reading Revelation, that should be in our minds, I suppose. Yes, come Lord Jesus. So, okay, just to, to kind of what to tr- try to summarize some of that and keep us moving in this greeting and this grace and peace that's given. So the one who is and who was and who is to come, we're identifying as God the Father. 
And that's especially true because of, for example, in verse 5, Jesus Christ is specifically named. And when we see these, this from three persons, we're thinking the Trinity. And so, I mean, the, it kind of falls into place. And I think the connection to Exodus 3 is fantastic to understand the grace and peace from the Father being expansion of the name that God gives to Moses in Exodus 3. Then you have in verse 5, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So that leaves the seven spirits who are before his throne. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. And I was remarking to you before we started that this one, I understand that this is referring to the Holy Spirit, but the fact that he is referred to as the seven spirits who are before his throne, that that is the reference to the Holy Spirit has always been one of those parts of Revelation that just confuses me a bit. So help clarify this. Why is it that we understand the seven spirits who are before his throne as a reference to the Holy Spirit. Right. And, and I think that it goes back to, you know, as, as we said before, is sort of an introduction to the number symbolism of the book of Revelation, is that when we see something that is of seven or something that comes in sevens, um, we need to be thinking sort of this is, this is what comes of God. Okay. Uh, which gets a little bit confusing a little bit later on when you've got um, a dragon with seven heads. Um, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that when we get there. Well, yeah, we'll talk that's about right. That when we get there. That's yeah. right. I mean, and he, he came in the appearance of, of, you know, trying to be like God. He originally was from God. He was an angel, right? Anyways, but the seven spirits here, we can read this seven and sort of just, we can import, or I think it's faithful to do this. Um, we can just say the of God spirit before his throne. Okay, um, so uh, this is John's shorthand for describing uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, this is um, the this is the way that he chooses to reveal um, the Holy Spirit, uh, or or the, that he chooses to depict the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there's going to be some some very strange imagery uh, as we get into chapter uh, four and following, when we see the heavenly throne room. Uh, some things that are, I think, frankly, beyond John's ability to uh, to explain in a way that. Oh, okay. Well, I understand what he's saying, you know. Uh, but you think of if we were trying to describe something to somebody, you know, if you were trying to describe something, you know, um, uh, an I don't know internal combustion engine to somebody who had never seen any kind of complicated machinery, right? Well, there are explosions that take place inside, you know. So I think if we were trying to describe something like that. I think we would be just as, as pressed for words as John is. Um, but when he says the seven spirits who are before his throne, um, I think it is a faithful reading of the text. Um, as you mentioned with the Trinitarian formula here, um, the, the threefold nature of this, uh, it's perfectly acceptable for us to see this as the Holy Spirit. Um, I had mentioned earlier um, in Isaiah 11, the uh, sevenfold gift of the Spirit. Uh, that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the one, the shoot who comes forth from the stump of Jesse, um, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, on his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Uh, and, and I mentioned also that the Septuagint uh, renders that just a little bit different, where it talks about uh, the first use of the fear of the Lord there is uh, is viewed as sort of a pious uh, piety towards the Lord. Um, so we, we don't need to get tripped up on that, but that's been referred to uh, throughout the ages as a, a reference to the sevenfold gift of the Spirit. So again, um, the godly gift of the Spirit. Yeah. I think that that's the, the, the best way for us to understand that. Um, and then, you know, I mean, there there is uh, some, some beautiful sort of... Um, well, it's fitting that 
to these seven churches, there is a, the sevenfold spirit before his throne, because these seven churches are standing in, as we've mentioned before, for all of the church. And so, look, there's there's plenty of spirit for all of the sure. church. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, that's exactly like that. what the spirit has done, is he's gone forth so that there might be uh, the spirit uh, here to yeah. give the so church the, life. The fullness of the spirit fills the full church. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, and and there's other references you could look at. The Isaiah 11 one's a good one. Zechariah three and nine use the number seven with lamps and eyes to refer to the spirit of God being present throughout His church. I, I like the connection you made. Seven churches, seven spirits. The Holy Spirit is fully present with His whole church. That's the promise John is writing to in the book to these churches in the book of Revelation. We're going to keep looking at it on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron with. Pastor Dustin Beck this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, May 9th. We're studying Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8 with Pastor Dustin Beck. He serves at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Morda, Texas. Pastor Beck, prior to the break, we were talking about the Trinitarian greeting of grace and peace that John brings. The Father is identified as the one who is and who was and who is to come. The Holy Spirit is described as the seven spirits who are before his throne. That is, the fullness of the Spirit fills the church. And then John writes very clearly, the last one, from Jesus Christ— he identifies him in three different ways, that he is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. Talk about these three identifications of Jesus. Yeah, so uh, we can't talk about a faithful witness without talking about the fact that the word witness uh, there in uh, in Greek is going to be the word martyreo, right? Um which refers to, uh, it's the, the word that is dragged into English, uh, transliterated, and becomes martyr. So um, he testifies by his faithful life, by his, uh, by his faith, being faithful unto death, okay? Um, and then, you know, he testifies also by his glorious resurrection that he is the Son of God. Um, and this is, this is a powerful statement uh, or a powerful concept throughout the book of Revelation is that uh, there will be those uh, who will testify, and how will they testify? In many cases, they will testify uh, by their own suffering, by their own pain. Uh, Revelation twelve eleven says um, that uh, they have conquered the devil, that's talking about the saints, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Okay, same word there, martyreo, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Okay, so Jesus loved not his life even unto death. He laid down his life. He gave of his blood, um, and that is what renders him the faithful witness. He's the one who faithfully testifies um, towards God's mercy and his love, and Jesus does this by coming to be the propitiation for our sins, by by bearing our sins in his body, uh, by living the perfect life in our place, and then by laying down his life and taking it right back up again. So, faithful witness. 
Check. Firstborn of the dead. Firstborn of the dead. Yeah. Christ is risen. (laughs) He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Yeah. And if he's the firstborn, that implies that there will be many more. Okay, um, just as when Jesus talks about being uh, the first fruits, and Paul talks about it this this way quite a bit, that he's the first fruits of them that sleep, right? And when you see the first fruits uh, at, at the beginning of the the, uh, the harvest season, you know that there's more fruits coming. Okay, so he's the firstborn of the dead. He is the one who is risen from death, never to be killed again. That's Jesus, uh, and the fact that he is the firstborn means that we also have hope uh, of resurrection, uh, that we will be born of the dead, that we will live uh, forever with him. Firstborn right, of the dead, check. Check. And now the kings, the ruler of the kings on earth. Yeah, yeah, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. Uh, this is absolutely critical for us to hear uh, and for us to believe, because I don't know that we necessarily get to see it when we look around, you know, uh, try to put yourself in the, uh, in the place of the original audience of, uh, revelation. I know that's a dangerous task because, uh, we can't even begin to relate to first century Christians under harsh Roman persecution. Uh, but look at the, the situation that they're in where, um, you know, the Caesar and everybody else are out to get them, the governors and they're being handed over, put into prison. Um, some of the ways that, you know, church history teaches that the, uh, the apostles and the other uh, folks in the early church were, uh, were martyred, um, it you know makes your skin crawl just to hear it, um, and yet we believe that Jesus is the ruler of kings on earth, in spite of their best efforts to rage. Um, uh, Psalm two talks about the the nations raging, you know, uh, violently, and the kingdoms, you know, uh, rising up, saying, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll overthrow and burst free our bonds and everything else, and you know, the one who sits in the heavens just laughs. He says, I've put my Christ, I've put my king on the throne. So again, we experience Jesus as the ruler of the kings on earth. We experience it right now by faith. Um, We will experience it uh, in his second coming by sight uh, with big smiles on our faces, I imagine, and with our knees bowed down and our our faces fallen down. I don't get to talk about it today in this text, but man, that is one of my favorite recurring themes throughout the book of Revelation is when the 24 elders, you know what they're famous for? They fell down on their faces. It just, uh, you know, that's... It's, it's, I always take it to like not a, not a reverent place, but just like a kind of a comical, like he's here, fall down and just kind of, you know, that kind of a deal. But that's, like I said, not in our text. So that's what we have to look forward to falling down in in homage, joy filled. Yes. Yeah. Casting down their golden crowns. I know. Yeah. What what used to we have of those things? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is who Jesus is. He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. That is the conclusion of John's Trinitarian greeting. And the other thing that, that perhaps strikes us as a bit unusual, you know, we, we don't always hear it this way, grace to you and yeah. peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Here we've got all three persons of the Trinity, but they're out of order in the way that we normally hear, say, in the invocation. Right. Why might John have listed the persons of the Trinity in this order? So this, yeah, this this is going to be a bit of speculation. This is just sort of, you know, my, my sanctified best guess. <laughs> um, I think this, this may be an emphasis 
on Jesus's unique worthiness that is going to be described throughout the book of Revelation. Um, I mean, when you get into chapter five and, you know, Jesus is the lamb, the lion who is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals so that the, the plan of God's salvation can be made known. I mean, yeah, Jesus is somebody special and that's, you know, understating it, of course. Uh, but Jesus is the one who comes to bridge the gap between God and mankind, specifically between his uh, between God and his church um, and then you know even also we can look back to revelation 1 1 that this is actually Jesus's revelation God gave to him for him to show uh, to his servants um, you know and then maybe the the last thing that we could say on why Jesus is listed last here is because Jesus is the one who is going to authenticate this message Okay. This was something, uh, I don't know if you had uh, Dr. Brighton for Revelation in seminary. Um, I never had that privilege. It was it was one of the best electives that I got to take, a full class on Revelation with the, the man who wrote the commentary. And, you know, uh, he was fantastic. But one of the things that he pointed out that I think is really unique um, is there's some weird stuff in Revelation. I don't think that's, you know, uncommon knowledge. Um, but there's this thing back in the book of Galatians where Paul talks about, you know, if if I or even an angel from heaven preaches a gospel mm-hmm. to you that is that is different, let him be accursed. Um, and Dr. Brighton, and again, I think this is pious speculation, the reason that he attached to why Jesus himself shows up in Revelation 1-9 is that he's there to authenticate this. He says, John, you're about to see some weird stuff. <laughs> Buckle up. Um, but I, Jesus, the one who calls you by name, the one who gets you back up from being on the ground like a dead man, I, Jesus, am showing you this vision, this revelation that God the Father has given to me, which I think is just, that that blew my mind when I first heard it. Like, Jesus is here to say, what you're about to see, write it down, because this is faithful and true. Okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Isn't that neat? Yeah, I think that's very helpful. I do. Yeah. So, and I think you know, and from a narrative perspective, Jesus is also listed last, I suppose, because that's to whom John is going to to give glory oh, yeah. next. Yeah. So, verse five continues, and I I think this is a doxology. Now, yeah. if I'm reading this right, yeah. to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That. He just ended the greeting with Jesus, and now he gives glory to Jesus here. Yeah, isn't that great? I mean, John is—he begins the letter the way that you're supposed to, you know, but then he can't even contain uh, the words of praise. He can't even—he can't even hold it back, and so he just— you know, bubbles forth in in praise um, to him who loves us and has freed us uh, from our sins by his blood. Certainly that's Jesus, you know, uh, the by his blood part uh, solidifies that for us. Uh, but look at the verbs that are in here. Um, the one who loves us. Isn't John the beloved disciple? Isn't yeah. he the one who talks about perfect love casting out fear? Is I mean, you've just been in First John for several weeks now, and um, you know th- the way that John's writings are woven together. I think you had a, a guest on last week that was talking about how you can just pull on a thread, and it, it just all sort of comes out. You know that it's it's all interconnected. Um, but that's what we have here: is the one who loves us. Not only has he loved us, but the one who said, if you abide in my word, you will be truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Yeah. He has freed us from our sins by his blood. Yeah. Yeah. He has made us to be a kingdom and priests to his God and Father. Okay. Uh, So again, notice who's doing the verbs here. This is nothing about what we bring to the table. John, you know, is uh, apparently very familiar with the uh, the old hymn, um, uh, you know, um, well, it, it, it slipped from my memory right now, but nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I cling. There you go. There you are. That's, that's where we were going with it, right? Uh, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. That's the yeah. one I was looking for. Um, John is familiar with that because he doesn't bring anything to the table except the words of praise. How great is this, this Jesus, this God who, who loves us more than anything, who has freed us, uh, who has made us a kingdom, given us a place of prominence, of rule. Um, you can already see sort of the, uh, the imagery of conquering built into that, uh, but then also priests to his God and Father. Okay, so we are put into a place where now we, uh, following in the line of Jesus, who is the firstborn of the dead, now we also um, offer up words of praise. We offer up that sacrifice of praise uh, with our own worship, um, and we receive uh, what God gives to us. That's the the job of a priest is to be that intercessor who stands in the place between God and man. Of course, Jesus is our great high priest, uh, and yet here we have also been made recipients and bearers of that to mm-hmm. to distribute it out to the rest of the world. To him be glory yeah. and dominion forever. Mm. Just to the note that Jesus is the one who's made us a kingdom and, and priests also to his God and Father, and what that means that we would distribute this to the world, that means that the book of Revelation is a book of comfort, as you've been saying, yeah. but as, as Dr. Lessing brought out, it also challenges us to continue to live faithfully as Christians, even as this world persecutes us, it, it does, the book comforts us, but also challenges yeah. us to continue to be this kingdom and priests, even in the midst of a world that's going to, to try to hurt us. If we're bearing witness, if we are testifying, and some of us, apparently, according to Revelation, even by our blood, by loving not our own lives even unto death, okay, um, to whom are we testifying to whom are we bearing witness? I mean, God knows our hearts. Uh, we bear witness and we testify um, to the world. Okay, and that's certainly with hopes that uh, that the elect will be uh, will be their eyes will be opened, their hearts will be enlightened, that they would see the gospel, that they would uh, see through um, uh, the beacons that God has placed all over the world. That's that's. You, dear Christian, you are the light of the world. Um, you know, let your light shine before others that they may give glory to God when they see your good works. Um, but yeah, ultimately, uh, for those who will be called to faith, they will be called by that light burning within you, the light of the gospel. And for those who will reject that faith, your testimony will be a witness against them. Okay, so yeah, there there is a challenge that is that is uh, that is understood in here uh, because uh, made us a kingdom and priests to his God and Father implies that you know that's that's great authority or great power that is given, and with great power uh, comes. Um, help me out with that one. I can't exactly. Great responsibility what, is the way okay. it goes in Spider Man. Did you have an Uncle Ben as well? I never had an Uncle Ben. I, I didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah, that was where we were going with that. I know that reference. Uh, you do know a reference. I know a few. I know a few. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> 
No, so okay, we are we are a kingdom, we are priests to to our God. And and again, this is all Jesus doing this for us, yeah. and we don't want to lose sight of that. But he, he in giving us all these things, then he does set us up as that light of the world. We're gonna see the churches being lampstands in the next section. So this is this is part of what's going on here. As Jesus gives, we receive, we live as this kingdom. This is a challenge given and and one that we we begin to do because of what Jesus has given to us in his love, freeing us by his blood, making us these this kingdom, making us priests. And so John says, he receives then glory and dominion forever and ever. And he says, amen. So this is a theme we'll, we'll see in the book of Revelation, glory and dominion. Help us to see how John introduces it here. Oh yeah, the, the glory and the dominion. So this is, this is talking, I mean, and again, this is a theme from John's gospel. Right um, now is the hour yeah. come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Um, he's yeah. glorified in John's Gospel when he is lifted up on the cross. Um, he's glorified in Revelation when he enters into heaven at his at his triumphant ascension up to the right hand of God the Father. Uh, when he enters into the throne room, uh, it, there is a party going on like we can't even imagine. And then the dominion here refers to the fact that. Um, because he is worthy to open the scroll, because he is the one who has um, has all power and might and everything else, um, yeah, he is pretty much in charge. And so, uh, you know, great hymns come to mind, like, at the name of Jesus, every knee yeah. shall bow, right? Um, that's that's what this is a picture of. And like you said, it is just going to be um, expounded upon and expanded all over the book of Revelation. One of the things that um, our listeners will no doubt uh, notice as you study the book of Revelation um, is there is this, this new song that we are told is sung in heaven when Jesus shows up. Um, so uh, you have the vision of the heavenly throne room, and they're singing a song, right? And they declare that that God is is almighty and that He's He's wonderful. And the the very first part of the song is founded in the fact that He created the heavens and the earth. But then once Jesus shows up, it's referred to as a new song, and the new song sort of reappears. And we hear a verse of it here and a verse of it there. Um, and it's just this, this song that's constantly and always being sung. Um, but you hear it in different chapters throughout the book of Revelation. It's just like um, all of a sudden, John, you know, he just kind of gazes back up into the throne room and he hears another verse of the new song that's being sung. Mm. Um, it's, it's, oh, it's just glorious to even think about. Um, uh, this is uh, what is attempted to be... Uh, Attempt, they're attempting to capture um, in the uh, the hymn of praise uh, the the dignus est is that it from the I think the, that's right this is the feast. dignus est agnus I think yeah, okay there think it is worthy yeah. is the lamb worthy is the lamb there it is so um, this is the feast of victory for our God Alleluia Alleluia um, that we have in uh, several of our divine services um, that's what that is trying to capture um, and so if you're familiar with uh, the Lutheran service book divine service setting one or setting two um, that this is the feast of victory for our God um, worthy uh, is Christ the Lamb who was slain um, all of that is is imagery drawn from the new song that shows up in Revelation. Um, so, uh, folks, you got a lot more of this glory and dominion business coming up. That's that's certainly going to be a theme that sort of weaves its way through Revelation. I think that glory and dominion carries into verse seven, yeah. where John says, "Behold, look." He's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This verse is a, just a little unusual as, as it goes in the flow here. So what, what is John saying here in verse 7? So 
One of the things that I have kind of, this is just my own personal kind of feeling about Revelation, is that it's kind of hard to establish a firm timeline that I can say I've got a hundred, like I, I get the timeline of the book of Revelation. And we're going to talk about how it's a series of cycles of seven. You've got three cycles with uh, this and that, um, you know, the... Um, the seals, the trumpets, the censers, and everything. You're going to have pauses built in. We're going to talk about the fact that this is not three um, concur or uh, three sequential cycles, but that right. they're concurrent. They're just looking at the same thing from a different angle. Uh, but the timeline of Revelation, I, I think that this is you know this is John writing to the seven churches in Asia, and yet he's writing. I mean, he is coming with the clouds. I mean, that sounds very imminent. That sounds very, you know, you know, tilt your heads back. <laughs> you know, the, uh, as, as, as Jesus ascended into heaven, um, there the disciples sat with their heads, you know, arced back looking. I think I can still see him. Can you, is that, do you, th- no, that's just a, that's a bird. No, you know, and then the angels come down. Men of Galilee, stop standing there with your, your necks turned back and with your mouths agape. I don't think that's exactly a, a literal reading. You know, this same Jesus whom you have seen will uh, will uh, return in the very same way. Okay, um, and so it's when John says, "Behold, he is coming with the clouds." It's almost like he's saying, "Look up, right now." That's that's what he's. That's yeah. what, you know, there's an imminent nature to this, which I think is why you know the uh, the one of the themes of Revelation, especially as we get towards the end, is this idea of like. Come, Lord Jesus! Like yeah. it's time. Bring it on! Um, and we, uh, as Christians, sh- we should always be looking for the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. We should always have our eyes toward that. Um, you know, as as you mentioned, you know, we we might use this greeting at, uh, at the beginning of our sermons. Uh, you know, at the end of the summer when we get to the end of the church year. You know, um, should Christ delay His coming any longer? Come, Lord Jesus. Um, but he is coming with the clouds, is this vision, uh, this reference, rather, uh, to Daniel 7, uh, when Daniel has a very similar vision of the entrance of the Son of Man into the presence of the Ancient of Days, Jesus' ascension into heaven. Um, and then you remember when Jesus is on trial with the Sanhedrin uh, back in the Gospels, um, mm-hmm. and the kind of the the last uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, um, was Jesus saying that you know uh, you will see me coming with the clouds in glory, and which is a clear reference to the fact that Jesus is saying I'm God's son. You're going to see me coming in all of the power uh, and all of the dominion and all of the glory. Um, and that was when they tore their robes and they were like, He is blaspheming. Let's put the guy to death. So, this is uh, this is reminiscent. This is uh, this is taking us to the second coming of Jesus, which is yeah. soon, dear Christian listener, um, so that every eye will see him, just like Paul says to the Philippians that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord when he comes again in glory. Um, even those who pierced him, okay. Um, Maybe a few of them repented. Maybe a few of them came to the faith. You know, the centurion who's standing beside and says, surely this man is the son of God. Um, but then all the tribes of the earth, all the peoples will wail on account of him. Uh, when Jesus comes, it will, be, it will be glory and dominion. It will be a kingdom and priests for the church, for the faithful, for those who hear the word of God and keep it. But for those who have rejected, abandoned, forsaken God's word, um, when he comes, it will not be um, it will not be a glorious and, and, and day for them. 
Was that where you were, where your head was kind of going with all this as well? Yeah, and and just the the note here of of urgency, the yeah. note that when Jesus returns and this one who reigns as Lord, those who who believe in him, they give him all glory and honor, but at yeah. his coming, those who have not believed in him will receive him with this this wailing particularly. I, I hear these verses and I I think of the the hymn that we usually sing during Advent, Lo but it pit, fits at the end of the church here. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, yeah. and the you know we would see the the tokens of his passion, the scars that his body bears with joy. But those who who pierced him, those who who did so in unbelief, will receive him with this deep wailing. Deeply wailing. And I think that that call to repentance um, that's there is again something that we will see in in the Book of Revelation as it as it progresses. And like you said before, there is a challenge that comes with the Book of Revelation, and that is that we would be winsome for the sake of um, for the sake of of, of getting this message out, um, warning people to flee from the wrath that is to come. Revelation yeah. can be a very scary book if you're not a Christian, um, and so yeah. for us, for our part, um, it is to uh, you know to be those lights shining in the darkness, to be uh, the ones who continue to give glory and dominion forever and ever, Amen, uh, to Jesus, um, that others might join in that that glorious song uh, as the sevenfold yeah. Spirit uh, would lead them. There, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So. The, our text for today concludes with verse 8, and you, you mentioned this at the outset, that this kind of helps wrap some of the things up that we've been talking about. We've got about four minutes here in the morning. The, the words in verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Help us to, to see what is being said here. Wrap things up for us this morning, Pastor Beck. Yeah, I think I could do that. That sounds like fun. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we have uh, very clearly here, uh, this is referring to God the Father. Okay. Uh, if we had any doubt when we were back in uh, verse 4 about him who is, was, and is to come, I think all of that doubt is removed right here um, when we see Lord God right there. Um, that is uh, the way that God uh, the Father is referenced um, back in like Genesis 2. For instance, uh, especially in the Septuagint, you really even see that there in the Greek, um, the um, the Lord God, right there. Um, which I, I, you know, that kind of stands out to me because, um, I mean, you don't get. I'm trying to think in the New Testament, the Father isn't really referred to as Lord God all that much, right? I was really. Yeah, I mean, my I'm brain. not. I'm not thinking of of another example off the top of my head where that same title good, shows up good. in the New I, Testament. Then I'm in good company because I was I was thinking about that last night and I I did some searches, you know, in my Bible apps and things like that. And I just I I couldn't come up with it. Okay, uh, maybe some of our listeners are, are sharper than we are uh, and they can figure that out. But this Alpha and Omega business. Okay, uh, this is another thing that our listeners should know in terms of reading the book of Revelation. It's very important to at least try to always be able to tell who is talking and to whom they're talking or about what they are talking. Right. I mean, that's that's plain for any time that you're reading or communicating anything, but especially in the book of Revelation, because um, if you're not careful, you'll think that that Jesus is talking when it's an angel talking, or vice versa. Um, here, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Well, that's that's pretty clear, says the Lord God. We're going to say that that definitely is that's God the Father. You know, in the next uh, section, uh, uh, you know, when we have the vision of Jesus, Jesus is going to be the first and the last, the beginning and the end. When we get into Revelation 21 and 22, um, is that Jesus speaking? 
well, it says it's the one sitting on the throne, but there's there's almost this this blurring between the one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, and then all of a sudden Jesus is the one who's making all things new. He's entering into a, an act of, of new creation. Um, but there is this beauty, again, to the fact that the Alpha and the Omega refers to the fact that God always has been. He is from the from the first page to the last page, from before time uh, until eternity, He is. That, that same idea that we started with, talking about him who was, uh, who is, was, and is to come, uh, rings true here. The fact that the Lord God, he is the same. He, is, he always is, and he is almighty. And if he always is, and he is almighty, um, and what's more is that he loves us, well, then I think that this is going to be a pretty good book for us. I think Revelation's going to work out okay. Um, if the God who is, uh, who just always is, right, um, and is almighty, is in charge of all things. If he's telling us right from the start, and John is uh, uh, witnessing, testifying to the fact that this God loves us, I think we're in a pretty good place to move forward from here. I think we're ready to get into the the meat of the the letters here, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, that you'll find as you go through uh, the uh, the uh, the vision of Jesus, and then uh, of course the letters to the churches, the vision of all the things that are about to happen, um, the things that are, and the things that have happened. It all comes together just so beautifully here in uh, the book of Revelation. And so, dear listener, um, buckle up. It's going to be a lot of fun, uh, but you can trust in the one who is who is almighty and who loves you very much. Pastor Dustin Beck is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He's been helping us today to study Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. Pastor Beck, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure, Pastor Apple. God bless you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about the opening verses of Revelation, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.